Welcome to I Talk Shit and Read. This is your host, Ro, and today I'm joined by sci-fi, fantasy, and horror author Kat Howard. Kat first hit my radar with her debut novel, Roses and Rot, that reimagines the tales of Tam Lim and Thomas Reimer into a modern fairy tale about two sisters and the sacrifices they're willing to make to pursue their art and escape their abusive past. It's a dark and twisted story that made me an instant fan of Kat's writing style, her keen way of deconstructing tropes, and the stories of Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm. But if you ask me, the best urban fantasy stories are always the ones where things get dark and complicated. So naturally, I was interested in Kat's urban fantasy duology known as the Unseen World, where the source of magic's been corrupted, and it'll take more than a single confrontation to resolve the matter. Kat explores the price of magic by creating a world that makes you stare at the real cost of winning and happiness directly in the eye in an unkindness of magicians. And now she's returned with the follow-up of Slider Shadows that forces you to wrestle with the question, how do you have a happily ever after if the world doesn't want it? Listen in as I sit down with Kat and dig into her inspiration, her writing process, and unflinching willingness to be ruthless when the story calls for it. I've got your book. Because I am a, I used to be, they don't necessarily do it so much more because they've consolidated their, um, um, their business model in ways that we will not discuss. I used to be a guest reviewer for Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego. Oh, okay. And one of the, uh, booksellers there literally threw an arc of an unkindest magician at my head. Oh, I mean, like, I, I appreciate, you know, like an aggressive front (laughs) sell, but like that, like, I feel like. I should not be happy about people oh, yeah. actually getting injured by the book. I caught it. It's okay. But he, I, was okay. Like, I was like, what's happening right now? They're like, you, you read urban fantasy still, yeah? I'm like, yeah, I read urban fantasy, usually with my eyes, not the back of my head. Um, he's like, take that art. Tell me what you think. And then just wandered off. So I, I read it. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, I, I really like this. I dig this so much. I don't think I've read anybody who's using magic this way or who's using a contemporary environment this way, who really understands the dark bitterness of, you know, angst and, you know, fuck ups this way. So I gave it to a friend of mine and um, I didn't tell them anything that happened. I just thought, I think you might like this. And so they read it and proceeded to cuss me out every five minutes into my text messages. And I was like, what's happening right now? She's like, who's gonna die? What? She's like, I know someone's gonna die. And I was like, probably it's, it's, it's yeah, that, that happens. They're like, did you get me hooked on a book where the person who I like is gonna have something terrible happen to them? And I was like, um, possibly, possibly that happened. And that's when you started getting tagged in screenshots of conversations that were happening in my text messages and DMs over an unkindness of magician. Um, so your friend is really gonna not like the new one, then I'm just gonna warn you now. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, an unkind of magicians is a world that's kind of about, it's obviously that's book one of the unseen world. And it is an urban fantasy with a, a deep cut of thriller and a whole lot of murder and mayhem. So if that's your jam, this is why we're here. I have read pretty much everything that you've written and I didn't need Neil Gaiman to tell me that you were the shit before I started reading what you write. Um, I have Rotten Ruin, I have the, I have the short stories. 
I have all of the the comics and graphics that you've done on digital, but that's because all of your physical copies got stolen out of my house. Um, it's okay. It's okay. It was my fault. I left someone who really likes that kind of things unattended in my living room. This is a risk I run by letting people in my personal library. It's fine. I called it a birthday present, and then I demanded that they read your book because I knew it would completely blow the back of their head off, and you'd have a new reader. And that's what happened. I also... Um, in conjunction with another person who shall not be named because um, we no longer do things together, we had a book club and one of the books that we talked about was Unkind Miss Magicians because your book came out in 2017 around the time where urban fantasy was taking a serious beating in the marketplace. And it was kind of like a silent but deadly title. And I'm curious... Given that the first thing I read from you wasn't a reimagining of one of my favorite stories, uh, I will tell you that I was like I was all in on Rotten Ruin. I'm not gonna lie. Um, what made you? What What was kind of like the impetus to come fully fully into a contemporary urban fantasy setting, and then want to do magic? So, some of it was just wanting to be different, like. The Tamlin legend is one of my favorites too. Like that was like, I loved it so much. I collect retellings. And so Roses and Raw was just really like, a, oh, I'm going to do this. It's going to be great. And then when we were talking about, you know, what are you going to do for your next book? With my editor, I was like, well, I have this one idea that would be another sort of retelling kind of thing. Or I have this murder sort of thing that I might want to write. And we decided to go full out murder. And it was fun. Um, because whenever I got stuck in the book, I could just kill somebody. And that was great, you know? So, um, but you know, for me, like, I love the idea, like a little more seriously, I love the idea of when a place becomes so central to a story that it almost becomes like a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, there was a lot of that in Unkindness of Magicians, both, you know, the New York City setting being really important to the story, but also the individual houses and things like that. And so there was a lot for me to play with in terms of setting. It's funny when people ask about, you know, how do you feel about writing urban fantasy? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I did do that, didn't I? You know, because it wasn't, you know, it's it's a genre that I that I read and love and enjoy, but it wasn't so much, a, oh, I want to tell a story in this genre. I was just like, I want to do magic that's modern and that feels like magic people would do today. I guess I'm going to, you know, I need a place to put it. I guess it's going to be this. And then, I, oh, yeah, okay. So yeah, what you've done is urban fantasy. Okay, great, cool. Yeah, but see, that's the thing that I love about it because I, 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 downsized to a smaller place where I live and that required me to kind of make some hard which books are staying physical copies which ones are going digital and I read Patty Briggs and there's no world in which I don't own Patty Briggs books in hard copy I read Anne Bishop (laughs) there's no world in which I don't own uh every book Anne Bishop decides she wants to put pen to paper to write as a hard copy and a friend of mine was like she's like so you're just going to keep all your urban fantasy in hard copy and everybody else is going to digital and I was like I don't what because it hadn't dawned on me I was like well no um and then I was like okay so shit I'm like what am I doing because I read I read epic fantasy I I love a good hero's journey um I love a great ensemble I'm down for a heist film I'm down for a heist story but when it comes down to one of the first places that I actually got to read a lot of very strong protagonists who were either, well, let's just say not men, was in urban fantasy. And some of the places that I got to meet the most eclectic ensembles of people 
who weren't all cis heteronormative whatever was also an epic in urban fantasy and I was like well I said well obviously Patty's staying in in the real world because I read those books too often to end up you know getting rid of them and then end up just buying them all again in digital but when it came to new authors that kind of became the bar I was like okay do I want to own this book or am I content with my arc or am I content with my digital copy and then just recommending it and spending other people's money on this author? And I was two chapters in to an unkind of, of magicians, the arc when I bought Mm -hmm. the physical book. I also um, started one clicking it into people's carts whose uh, accounts (laughs) that I had access to because I believe in supporting authors with money and you know, surprising my friends with, you know, receipts and book delivery. But there was, I, I mean, you're laughing. Y'all, y'all, she's just laughing at me. Y'all can't see her, but she's just, it's my fault. I'm a hot ass mess. It's fine. But there's something about the way that you also, you know, everybody kind of likes the books that are set in the like dark ad- academia world, but there's no, there's no real counterpart for that for an adult fantasy reader. So when a um so when the unseen world came up and I was like, okay, so she's walking down the street. We are clearly in New York. I can clearly I know where you are. And then you did some like kind of pass through through a graveyard. Can you see it cuz I can I was like, okay, I see what's happening here. This is going to be a whole ass problem. And then you threw in a magic tournament serial killers a chosen one that's not so much chosen but dragged in and has no choice but to choose if they're gonna save everybody mm-hmm. I, what uh, ma'am and i well you know listening to what you were saying i think one of the things i just realized is that i think if we want to have magic in a modern world a lot of our modern world magic is going to be urban fantasy mm-hmm. because that's where people live now you know we live we live in cities I guess we could try and do like suburban fantasy or something like that. But for the most part, we're, we're moving closer and closer. People become centrally located. And so it just becomes like, this is a logical setting. If we're, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I love portal fantasy and secondary world and all sorts, you know, that, you know, we can go to all these places and stuff like that. But if we're trying to do something that sounds like now, a lot of that is just going to be urban fantasy by default, you know, and what you said too, if, if we want to have like, Cast that actually look like our reality that aren't all straight white guys, you know, I love them, but we can have other people in our stories, you know, again, let's look for, let's look for settings where these kind of people are going to hang out and feel comfortable and not feel like I am the only queer person in my neighborhood. This isn't going to work out well, kind of thing, you know, like what, you know, so like, yeah, it, it it becomes just like a sort of it's a more natural setting. Yeah, well, you put the, um, you know, the stakes were legitimately internal and external in this book. And I think one of the things um, that I remember for the first time when I picked up a slight of shadows and I realized that it was literally I was like, wait, is this are we 53 days later? I, I, I threw the book. <laughs> I was so, I was so happy and yet so angry <laughs> that I threw the book because I also remember, I vaguely, I'm lying, I distinctly remember yelling at you when I realized, A, this was supposed to be a standalone, and B, you cliffhangered the fuck out of this story. But it, 
it wasn't a legitimate cliffhanger because it it's one of those things where we've gotten so used to in the world this sense of happily ever after um the nice bow the tie up everybody makes it back home or the big huge morning scene of those we've lost along the way that sometimes <laughs> people forget that after the big huge crash after the big huge thing the finale the boss fight sometimes it's just someone trying to figure out who am i now are yeah. there pieces for me even to pick up yes oh my gosh that's exactly right that's exactly it but it's so uh, rude for you to make me have to reckon with that it's so disrespectful <laughs> and so i was so angry and so like one of the first notes that i had in this book i got i got maybe three chapters in i was like i don't know if i'm emotionally connected and then in my notebook, I was like, are you not emotionally connected or are you just lying about which emotions are happening right now? And I was like, so now you have me also being rude to myself while taking notes for things to talk to you about. So thank you, because that's the, you know, kind of conflicted place that I live when I read books where, you know, <laughs> people I know could legitimately be in them. And there's yeah. this, yeah, but there's this thing that you did that, like, don't get me wrong. I love Sydney, and I, I love a ruthless bitch. I swear before God, I do. And I love someone that when you realize behind that ruthlessness is a huge amount of pain. And, <laughs> and, and I think people forget or they choose to pretend that ruthlessness isn't a choice all the time. Yeah. Sometimes it is a defense mechanism. And this is one of the first worlds that I've read where someone has literally been dragged into and through trauma with a capital T and they've had to choose how they're going to sustain, how they're going yeah. to survive and stay some core piece of themselves. Yes. And usually when you get that and it's written, um, there's either, you know, a lot of pac pacificity and then at the end there's some well, this is where I find myself now. Sydney was like, you know, I'm like, I think this might have been the first time where I could legitimately have imagined this character going, no, fuck all this. No, mm -mm. that's not, that's not how we gonna do this. Um, uh, okay, you want to drop me through the floor and like try to stick? Okay, okay, I got something for you. But there's also all these other pieces and like this world that exists. So. You you wrapped Sydney up in kind of a slight dissociative place that a lot of people don't really like to reckon with with themselves. And yeah. then you proceeded to surround her with people who were all in, you know, other different kinds of places and making different choices to where looking at her and the choices she was making forced them to consider uh what where why am I doing what I do? I know this person looks terrible to me and the choices and the things that they're willing to sacrifice seem terrible to me. And, but am I terrible? Yeah. I was like, did you and intend to write a whole, are we the baddies story? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that I wanted to think about was, you know, what does, what does, what does living through this first book do to you? Mm -hmm. You know, um, because I think I think in fantasy in, in particular, we have this, you know, we have the the big fights and the big powers and and people die and or people are killed. And, you know, sometimes that's the fault of the characters that we love. And, you know, what does it mean to live through that? What does it mean to sacrifice something and then see that 
turned into nothing right in front of you? You know, what, what does that do to you? How do you get yourself through that? Um, you know, it was also very much set in a society where most of the people had been getting themselves through participating in something horrible, just fine. They weren't bothered by what was going on. It made their lives easy. And so it was perfectly okay for them to just be like, yeah, that's a thing that's happening. We don't talk about it. Let's move on. You know, so what happens when you make everybody look at the thing that they, that, that, that they don't want to look at? How do people react to actually seeing that? You know, are, you know, and she made them change at the end of unkindness, but it was sort of like, is it really believable for everybody to be like, okay, yeah, this is, you know, this is how it's going to be all that change. Let's go on and make a really good world now. No, that's, that's actually not a believable reaction, particularly for this group of people who were immensely wealthy, immensely powerful. Their life was so easy. And now that's going to be difficult and uncomfortable and no one's going to be happy about that. Well, no, I mean, I like it, it's one of those situations where you think about the use of magic and, and you make, there's a lot of micro movements in here that end up doing massively huge consequential things. And I thought it was a nice juxtaposition between making the doing of magic seemingly small, seeming, because mm -hmm. you turned the motherfucker inside out. So there's nothing's really small about the magic that's happening. Girl, can't when you kill somebody, you really, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I know this makes me sound slightly sociopathic. I'm not, I just like a good murder or five. <laughs> Uh, uh, in in fiction, of course, we're talking about fiction. Who doesn't like a good fictional murder? Listen, I mean, y'all should like me to like it on the page. <laughs> but like, but the <laughs> it was the way that you built all these things. I was like, it's like there was one point where I'm I'm also being vague as to characters because I want people to read both of these books. I absolutely love both of these books. Now that the second book is out, I actually went back and read the first one again and slid directly into the second one. And it was a, 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 an even more increasingly enjoyable experience. So I oh, don't, don't want to hyper-spoil, but like you managed to slide a whole ass serial killer in here in a way that feels very logically, consequentially related to being in an urban environment where people, the, the imbalance is, 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 a, is a, a particular type of vacuum then people mm -hmm. all look over here and no one's thinking about these other things and what that could do to people when you train people to accept something so consummately effed up in this one yeah. area what could that potentially unlock in someone else's head yes exactly and, and i thought that was a fascinating journey that you've now taken us on twice although the second time around when a particular person whose name starts with a d showed up i was like nope y'all should kill her just mm, just let's just preempt this problem but I also like the fact that reading this book that you give us this development of character that requires that you kind of set aside your expectations of how you're supposed to invest in written mm -hmm. characters on the page. And, and then when you get to the point where you get slightly stressed out, you remind us that you know when it's time for someone to die. <laughs> And sometimes it's, you know, for the good of all. And other times it's just because you got to go. Yeah. And yeah. Um, how did 
you manage those two dueling impulses? We'll put it that way. I mean, um, I think it was a lot, you know, it's one of those things where it's a lot easier to see like the big, enormous sacrificial deaths or sacrificial acts. You know, those are, those are our big picture. Those are our massive story arcs. Um, and I think particularly for readers of fantasy, we're used to seeing things that look like that. We see the buildup, we see the, oh yes, okay, this is how, okay, yep, that, that, you know, we, we can accept those things. I think the, it's funny to say something like a death is a smaller thing, but the smaller deaths were, you know, sometimes people fuck up. You know, sometimes you you make a, a good decision for a bad reason or, you know, you you get in over your head or things like that. And and like magic having consequences, life has consequences, too. And sometimes you have to pay them whether you deserved to or not. Um, and so I, I wanted to sort of bring that idea in there. I, I think that's probably that was a sticking point for a lot of people when they're reading this book. They're like, but wait a minute, but wait a minute. And I was like, what? She's like, well, what was the point of that? I was like, they missed a red flag. This is the natural consequence of getting involved with someone who's that kind of crazy and missing a clue that this is when you nope out if you want to survive. But, but we don't do that. I was like, who is we? Cat wrote this book. We did not collectively come together to submit notes on this, but you were not a beta reader. I mean, who is we? They were so mad. That I, they're like, I feel like you're relishing the murder too much. I think you like the mayhem. These terrible things that are happening. I was like, what? Yes, I am enjoying the shit out of this. Why are you not? And so we got into this kind of conversation about the consequential nature, you know, and a <laughs> lot of what happens in fantasy is we outsource that consequence and we make it a part of the journey and it's not a part of the life. And having this book start shortly but not too shortly after what happened in the first books and you've gotten this great sacrifice this thing the expected thing and now you, i was like you are taking me directly into the aftermath and i'm yeah. not ready i'm not ready i know it's been five years and you gave me plenty of time to get ready but canada was not ready and 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 watching someone who's had who was created in a pressure cooker now mm -hmm. have to look around at this world and not only go, who am I? But because of the rules of how the world works, have to really think, can I even stay here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, again, I think I think it's it's so easy to see the glory of the great sacrifice. And it's really difficult to look at what does it actually mean to live after that? Yeah. You know? Um and I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to get into that because part of because these weren't, it wasn't conceived as a series originally. It was, it was unkindness really was supposed to be a standalone. I might have come um, to your house and tried to move in and made you write me books. I'm sorry. Mm -mm. That's good to know. I'll let the apartment building front door. You <laughs> were. Like, Here's a picture. <laughs> Um, but it wasn't. And so, you know, it, it became, it became this duology because part of me was like, you know, I really liked Sydney and I felt really bad for what I did to her at the end of the book. And then when I was thinking about, okay, so I'm going to write the second book and she, everything's going to work out for her. And then I started thinking about, you know, the world and the characters. And I was like, you can't, that's not the story. That's not the story at all. Everything doesn't work out in this world. That's not how this goes. And you know, and, and so one of the things was she needed to reckon with what happened, but 
also with what she'd done, her own responsibility, even if she would make the same choices. And she's very clear, I would make all the choices that I made again. I would do every single thing again. Um, that we had to see her walk through that, those realizations. We had to see her own up to what she did. And then because that was that was the only way she was getting through this. That was the only way she was continuing. Yeah, I also like the fact that you gave her a sense of emotional, emotional integrity, which a couple of my friends are like, Net, they, I, um, they are actively having a conversation whether or not they think Cynthia's a sociopath because they don't feel that she is um, emoting the way that they've been taught to expect A, women to emote, B, people who find themselves in the system to it. So I, I really appreciated the emotional integrity that's coming in because Sydney's about that life. Um, not only, <laughs> and, and, and having had to go through the suffering, go through the pain and be put through the particular type of gauntlet that she had to go through that quite frankly, no one else who's actively living in the unseen world has everybody else exactly. had to deal with Sydney's had to deal with is dead. Yeah. I, I, I appreciated, I deeply appreciated that we are, you brought us in not only after a moment of great sacrifice, but to kind of show that sacrifices don't always turn out how you think they will just because mm -hmm. you did this thing but you also you this the slight of shadows is one of the best ways to say you need to be careful about what you think winning is yes and you can't drag people into hope if power is still as compelling a motivating force for them to act as it was when you were hopeless because yeah, you and that, were hopeless not them yeah yeah and that and that was and that was again that was something that i really that i really wanted to wrangle with is that you know we don't get we don't get neat endings we don't get this happened and then there's part two and it's great and you know everything ties up we we get mess the real world is mess and even though this is a magical world and everything else, it's it's set in our world. It's set in our reality. It's set in a in a city that we know. And it would, it just felt like it would be, much like I was saying, you know, I couldn't just smack Sydney at the beginning of the book in a happy ending. I couldn't make this world into something that was a happy ending either, because that's it. Just felt dishonest. It felt like really untrue to what the way the story would turn out. Yeah. So then you introduce some new people. Uh, new people mm -hmm. a problem which i loved because um i think my longest running series of any genre um even on tv i realized the other day i was like this is new people same problem why am i still here why do i still like this and i realized that we don't necessarily kind of deal with cause complications and we don't deal with the cycl cyclical nature of solutions and you, mm -hmm. you, you, you put new people and, you know, you bought a fresh, bright-eyed ingenue. It's so excited. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what in the Disney? Because <laughs> it, it really felt like one of those things where someone tells you all your, your Disney theories and brings them together into a sense of reality of, you know, they kill everybody, mama. Yeah. <laughs> Or you're know, like, yeah, you know, like when she said, bring her to me, she really did mean rip her heart out of her chest and she was going to eat it, y'all. 
It's like yeah. you, you brought this person into this world and, you know, they're all, it's all bright and shiny and they're being led not astray, but in a particular direction by someone yes. who's motivated and who has an agenda. And then you've got Sydney over here, who's not the most compelling of people and characters that you're going to look at and say, no, nah, I'm going to. Yeah, she seems cool yeah, because there's still that coldness. There's still that detachment even though you know she loved her house she loves grace she mm -hmm. loves other people and the way that you kind of built this idea that you know particular types of love be they friend be they platonic or intimate don't necessarily last outside of the pressure cooker under which they um uh they arose i thought that was a low-key fabulous storyline but it's really easy to miss that's where the emotion is happening. That's where the connection is happening. Because Sydney is still mm -hmm. this ruthless person who's like, you know what? If you become a problem, I'll kill you. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really, that's murder is sort of her love language, which is maybe a problem for having a healthy life. But, you know, that that is how she's going to deal with things. If you, you know, if you upset her friends or go against somebody that she loves, you're just, you're not going to survive doing that. I mean, she was brought up in a house that eats people. I, I don't yeah. really know that murder should be, out, like mayhem, murder, and, you know, the, the natural consequences therein kind of seem like they're built into you know, the, the, they're in the bone at the point where you're literally, you grow up in a house that eats people and sucks and drive all their magic. But yeah. I, I liked the juxtaposition that there was between, you know, Sydney having a place, finding a place, and then realizing that her job wasn't done, but also then having to reckon with the fact that she did the thing that was supposed to be the thing, and now she's not actually in a position to do the job that's undone. Right. I, right. I, like, there's there's a moment early on where you have them walk out and she's with Grace. Grace is like, yo, I need you to come with me. And I love yeah. it when people subvert the come with me if you want to live kind of trope. And you did it in a real smooth kind of, I need to show you this thing that's happening over at this place that we thought was cool. Man, it's not cool mm -hmm. anymore. And when they get there, you know, even Grace is kind of like, you can see it because yeah aren't you dead now like inside like you dead inside you you can't even access if magic is with you you can't find it and then for sydney she's like yeah the house wants me to see yeah i was, I was like nope i threw the book again um i was really glad this wasn't my finished copy that i was beating up like this uh, <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i might have been mad if i started a hardback around like this just denting up the edges but that's that was one of super early on when I realized I was like, okay, this might be a slightly duplicative journey, but it's the kind of the nature that we don't get in, in a world where we think magic is the solution. And you've built a world where magic, as it has been fed, is the literal problem. That was rude. Yeah. I really liked it. And that was, and that was, and that was very deliberate in the second book because what I wanted to think about is, you know, what happens when you, you know, when we, we in the in in unkindness, we we saw, you know, something is wrong with magic. Magic has been has been fed the wrong thing this entire time, and so does that does that affect magic? You know, does that change what magic is? And and so I was able to make magic almost sentient, almost a character in Slight. And that was, you know, that was really an enjoyable thing because then I got to say, okay, so how is it going to react, you know? And and I was really, um, 
there's this there's this there's this thing like if you're there's this thing called desire lines if you're like in urban planning if you're the kind of person who like makes parks or things like that you make paths for people to walk on and you pave them and they're very nice and they're very attractive and sometimes people decide that they don't want to walk on your nice attractive paths they just want to take the shortcut through the middle and so you'll see like the worn steps in the grass and that's what's called a desire line where people take their own path instead of the one you want to take. And I was like, well, what if magic can do that? But if these big spells that took so much from people sort of, they've taken so much and they've been around for so long. And what if they sort of decide what they want? Yes. Yeah. AKA, and, and what if you train AI and you forget to teach it not to be racist? <laughs> On, on a little bit of a level, they got high key mayhem as a solution to their problems and how they were using magic among the houses, how they were maintaining control. And they've taught this force that thing. Yeah. And now the force is like, I, like, okay, I got a Star Wars person to read this book and it was the greatest thing ever because we got to have a conversation about the force in the sense of like the rule of two and like, you know, this whole conversation about if you really wanted to do this, you just got to kill this other person. And we're always like, yeah, but the force is about balance. So if you get rid of this other person, the force in and of itself is going to imbue something or someone else with that thing because balance, what you think the rule of two was about? Did you not read Darth Bane? Do you not know what happened when we got to a state of gray? So didn't mean to rant, my bad, but, <laughs> But to see you actually actively do that with magic that has a, a heavy human user element, you know, it's not just, it's not just perverted by blood magic. It's not just this. It's the people and the yeah. choices doing this thing and teaching nature, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. which side, and, and the, yeah, so I was like, so the house, the house, the house would like, the house said, kiss my ass. Um, and the house is like, thanks for evicting that person who was keeping me in control in ways that I didn't necessarily agree to. But I do yeah. like all these other things. And these are things that I know. So these things that I know need to come back because they're what I know and I want them. And I thought yes. it was the most poignant thing that the idea that there weren't enough hopeful people, there weren't enough people with a willingness to lead from a different place with their magic, that when that statue came back together and offered them that damn little bloom, that not even 53 days later, that mm, that thing had crumbled and fallen to the ground. And I was like, damn it, Jim. <laughs> this is terrible. And then so when I met like little bit newbie and I was like, oh girl, mm-mm. And then when you saw how the other houses were having consequences and the, the thought process of the people who ran those houses and who were involved in those relationships, where their head immediately went to this place. I was like, y'all like power more than you like peace. And this is going to be terrible. And I'm going to enjoy every fucking word. But, but there's something unique about that. Like you write the way that you choose to write could get overly complicated, but you keep the language very fresh, very open. It, and, and, and that is kind of like looking through a door where someone's pushed a shit ton of boxes out of the way. And you opening the door with this fear that the room is going to be a whirlwind of clutter and you open it and it's all really neatly arranged, but it's jam packed. And you're like, oh, so I know where to start. But then mm -hmm. for every place that you chose to have us start or have us go back and revisit, like a person comes back 
we're not in the same file that we thought we were. So it turns into a different choose your own adventure. And I was just like, see, this is this is bad. This is terrible. This is horrible. It's for the people. And I just like and my friend's like, she's like, Are you not enjoying this book? I'm like, I'm having a great fucking time. Just ignore me <laughs> over here. I was like I was like, this is marvelous. I mean, there's a there's a sense of open sourceness to how you write. Like you're not trying to write above people's head. You're not afraid of making an illusion that may make take them a minute to get it. Um, and you mix in kind of pop culture and fantastical elements in a way that always remains accessible. It's what I like best about your writing, quite frankly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, it's very, I, I want to I leave people room to breathe. I want to I write to people like I think that my reader is an intelligent human. Um, and then I want to leave them room to breathe in the story because I think that's very much a like it's a it's a collaborative thing. The reader brings themselves to the story, just like I bring myself to the story, and I want to leave them room to be able to do that. Yeah. Okay, but so when you're thinking about your readers and you're mm -hmm. saying that you want to leave them space to breathe and you want to keep it accessible, does that ever conflict with kind of like the trend or the foot traffic that you need to create when you're doing your world building? I don't think that I think of it that way. Um, and I think maybe partially because I tend to be somebody who is very much like, I don't do a ton of planning outside of what shows up on the page. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a plotter. I'm very much a right by your headlights. I figure out a little bit and then I figure out a little bit more. And so I think what you're saying, you know, you, you open the door and you see the room with the boxes shoved aside. I just, I shove aside enough boxes that people can see what they need to, including me. And then I back out of the room. I don't worry about what's behind the boxes or in the corners or the stuff that I didn't unpack because I don't need that for the story. Um, and so I think that's how I prevent myself from getting overwhelmed. And so I hope that's what also prevents the reader from getting overwhelmed. I mean, it, it makes sense. It also makes me like, you know, this is going to sound creepy. Just kind of going to go in there and look in the boxes that you didn't open. Um, you have You have a way of building a thread and turning it into a journey and then cliffhangering the fuck out of people again. And it kind um, of, it, it, yes. I'm not gonna apologize. I, that's, you know, sorry. No, we're we're no, stuck with that. No, I don't want you to apologize. I mean, I look, I have a phone that's specifically for this. So like when I am tired of getting cussed out by people for books, I just do not disturb the conversations for a little while then I come back and I scroll through them like um <laughs> later and it's, it's it's hilarious to me but I do feel like when you're coming back to a sequel mm -hmm. and the world that you currently physically live in is is vastly well not vastly but fundamentally in very key ways that it's kind of hard to ignore different than the one that you were living in when you wrote it the first book does that ever, you know, you, I'm, I'm really fucking annoyed you said you were a pantser, because that's not fair. Um, does, it, does, it, does it make you feel better if I tell you that I throw out so much that doesn't work? No. Like, so many words, just, they're gone? No, that does not make me feel better. Okay, okay, no. never mind. We can, we can, we'll move on. I'm sorry. No, because the words that you end up with at the end of the day have a deep presence and resonance. And somehow they just popped out your head and was on the page waiting for you and your editor to say, this is it. This is the one. That is just, 
I want to fight you, but not because I want you to still write. And, you know, I, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like at this point, maybe I should just bake you like big muffins and cookies and just like, here, I will feed you. You write the things. And I eat. That, that, that one will work. Okay. See, you know, I'm a helpful nutbag. It's fine. But it's, it's, it makes it easy when you want to explain a big idea. And, and what you did with the magic system in this book is very unique, but it feels logical. It feels rooted. And then it, you realize it's not unique. You've just taken all these different elements and ways in which magic have existed, and you've, you've fit them to the world outside your window. And then you said, this world is here. You just haven't been paying any attention to it, and it's been here all the time. And... As a black person, I'm not going to lie. I really feel like for a significant amount of time running around, running into people who were shocked by this thing, they're like, why are you upset? I'm like, because it's not new. That, that thing has been there this whole time. You just never looked over there. Or if you did, no one was talking about you. So the conversation, you felt it didn't pertain to you. So you weren't really kind of paying attention to all the things that were happening over there with that group of people or in that building. And now you're like, oh, let's go in that building. It seems fun. And you go in there and you're like, this building is zero fun. Zero fun is happening here. <laughs> How did I not know? And, and the fact that you built an entire world and then you built the second half of this journey, which is really about, you know, things left undone. Um, um, relationships built under fire and fighting stagnation, fighting the status quo, but having the person who's fighting the status quo so aggressively defending their agency, their independence, and their right to kill you if that's how you fix the problem. I've never met a group of people and the group of people in this book who had to come to terms with someone who's saying, look, I'm going to do this thing. There's going to be some fallout. If I survive doing the thing and you survive the thing I'm about to do, I will do my level best to try to help you come to terms and recapture and rebuild your life as much as I can. But bitch, I'm bringing all of this the fuck down. And in a world where people are really fond of saying things like eat the rich or down patriarchy or we need to dismantle or, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, y'all don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> None of you understand. I'm like, she didn't, you know, mm, mm, this allegory is fabulous. I don't know if it was accidental. Is it purposeful? Because it started to feel purposeful to me. Some of it was. Um, so one of the ways this series started um, was that there's this, the the last unicorn peter s beagle is the last unicorn which i love yes gorgeous book so the, when he talks about magic in there when they talk about what magic is there's this little bit where they talk about if you're going to do magic actual real magic you can't cut out someone else's liver and expect that to be enough of a sacrifice you have to cut out your own liver and not expect it to grow back and i was like okay but what if you could cut out someone else's liver Let's write a book about that. Um, and so that was one of the places where this book started was, you know, what if what if what if the magicians tried to tried to do their magic by cutting out someone else's liver? And then what if somebody showed up who is OK with cutting out their own and not expecting it to grow back? Um, so how does that happen? And so it started with magic, but also, you know, 
I didn't try to like write an allegory or an issue book or anything else. Um, but I mean, I live in this world. I live in the world that we live in, the actual real modern world. And I try and pay attention and that does show up in my fiction. And yeah, it's a lot easier to deal with things in fiction than it is to put yourself on the line in the real world. But, you know, if, if I can say that maybe we ought to look at the stuff we shove over into the shadows and that we don't look at, and maybe we ought to look at what the consequences are of living in this world and what we do to people, you know, maybe I can say that a little bit in my fiction and make that work. I'm sorry. I, I noticed you said a little bit. You do it a lot. And I like the fact that you may not necessarily realize it because it is a wonderful way to come to a world that's purely bringing all of these elements together and telling a story. And you're not, and it doesn't read like an issue book, but as someone who has to walk through the world, that's slightly lateral to the one a lot of other people think that is the quote big world, the quote reality, it was marvelous to, to see you have someone say, okay, my sacrifice isn't good enough for you? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because I know, I know what happens next. You guys think you know. Or this new person, you're like, you're willing to break this person. Yeah. To get back to what you think you lost. But what did you lose? There are all these other things that are being offered to you that are so good if you would simply get out of your own way. And it was it was really it was a really deliberate choice to just show one person this time one person suffering like that because I think one of the things that we do is you know something bad happens and you know a, a thousand people die and we're like yeah that that is that is sad a thousand people are dead you know like if we're if we're actual functioning humans we realize that that's sad but we see one person we see it happen we see that individual story and that pulls at us more. And we focus on that one person. And when somebody sees somebody do something that they think should make a bigger noise or have a bigger emotional resonance, resonance and it doesn't the way they think it should in the story. I, I, I don't generally tend to do this until after I've talked to someone. But this morning, um, after I writ wrote down all my questions, I was looking at some of the reviews on Goodreads and I started to notice this trend that there's a particular thing and a particular sacrifice or someone is willing to do a thing. And people are like, I can't believe that there wasn't a bigger response to this. How are you just okay with this thing? And I was like, because because you are, because that's, that's how the world works. Because this person did this thing. There was a terrible outcome as a result of it. But, but you, but the world is okay with it because there was a reason and okay. And you know, you're not going to get your big hero's death. Everybody's not pausing to go to a funeral the way that you think they should. And because you did really kind of, you were laser focused about those types of moments in slight versus the kindness of magic, magic magicians required a bigger upswing of that kind of mayhem. I yeah. thought it was marvelous to see people losing their damn minds. And I'm like, I'm giddy. I was like, oh, y'all missed the point. Oh, I'm like, she flew that plane right over your head. You over here screaming. <laughs> And I hope you're getting a, I hope you as the author got a giddy delight out of people running smack face into that point and then smack face into that wall and then continuing to keep trying to run. Because when I got there, I read it and I was like, bitch. Oh, 
oh, this is terrible. <laughs> and this is wonderful. Because it confronts the cyclical na nature of the consequences of choices when you fall back into a pattern or when you're forced back into making the kinds of choices and sacrifices that you'd hope you wouldn't have to make again. Mm -hmm. Even yeah. if they're in the reverse, I was like, oh, this is, oh yeah, this is great. I like, I sent the book to my mom at that point. I was like, here, yes, you can read the second one, leave me alone. Cause she texts me. She texts me. She's like, she's like, you got the arc. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. She's like, so can I buy it? I was like, I don't know. Let me think about it. She's like, but I like the first one. I'm like, I know. I'm like, but I don't know. I don't know if you're ready for a ride. I don't know if you're ready for round two. She's like, all right, let me know. So when I read it again in preparation for this, I text my mom. I'm like, yeah, no, I think, I think you'll dig it. I'm like, you're going to be mad. Please don't text me on East Coast time. If you want me to respond in, in real time, you're going to be mad, but you're going to love it. And I love books like this because I think sometimes as a reviewer, um, when you're trying to figure out if something quote unquote didn't work or if it mm -hmm. was just a difficult point or a difficult part and the emotional place for you isn't reflected as the emotional place for the characters, are you are you you know imbuing you into the page rather than taking what the page is trying to give you? I love those mm -hmm. moments because the first time I read it, I was like, "Oh, this is terrible. No one's really going to pay any attention. You're just going to keep on moving along." I'm like, "Y'all could have taken a beat, a damn beat." And then I was like, "Okay, this is Sydney. She wasn't going to take a beat, but yeah. everybody else could have taken a beat." And I was like, "Well, that's what they did the first time, and it actually put Sydney in a position to where she ended up having to take even bigger, more painful choices." And then had to reckon with this one choice, which one unravel, which put her into, I must be the chosen one or not kind of situation. I was like, okay, so maybe we can't take a beat. So yeah. that slight change of pace, I, I got punny here, in Slide of Shadows, um, it plays. The, the nose plays. It's at like, you know, now I'm quoting Ocean's Eleven at you. God help us. Um, but it's just, it's just such one of those things that when you kind of come back to a world, I, I, I don't know if I could have sat in a place where I still was going to reckon with the idea that there's no such thing as happy endings where everything's neat and clean. It's always going to be a cyclical nature of sacrifice. And I was like, I got to, yeah, I did get to the end. I was like, this is so rude. This is so, this is so rude. I was like, I am having a low-key existential crisis. And, and that's just, this, you, this is your fault. Your fault. Yeah. And it was... And, and and knowing and also knowing that this time that this is this is this is done. This is not an ongoing series. This is a completed duology. There's and to go back to the book. I mean, you know, I don't I, I never say never because the first one wasn't supposed to be, you know, was supposed to be its own thing, too. But like, no, I, I'm working on something else. I don't have there is no door cracked open in this book that is, you know, this is this is it. And it just again, it was one of the this was a very hard very hard book for me to write um some of that for writing reasons and some of it for life reasons but the writing reasons were a lot of knowing that i was going to make choices that would piss readers off um knowing that i was going to make choices that would that that would people would have difficulty sitting with and getting that out of my head you know i i, I do you know and 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 just sitting there and saying that i had to tell the story that felt true and right and appropriate to the story and 
feeling like, okay, you know, I did that. I, I am proud of the book that I wrote. Like Sydney, I would not go back and I would go back and I would make the same choices. Um, I mean, if, and it, if, it, if, it helps, okay if it helps as a reader, that struggle that you had and knowing that you were going to piss off the reader, that's where I live. I live for it because I feel like it's not my job to do anything other than appreciate the story that you gave me. And I appreciate when you are willing to kind of say, it would be nice if the world worked in such a way that I could tell you this story over here, but A, the world that I designed doesn't work that way, and B, the person who I'm telling you about has never functioned that way, so I don't know why you would expect me to suddenly do that. I might have been deeply upset if you had tried to soften Sydney, or if you had tried to kind of craft and curb this journey in, because, Hope never looks like what people think it's supposed to be. And I'm sorry, getting to the end of this book and having someone who started this as the living embodiment of the picture of Fuck Them Kids at the beginning of Unkindness of Magicians, looking at someone and saying, I will help you. I will help you figure this out. I will help you pull yourself together and get back as much of the pieces of you as I can so you can survive as you. That is a full, that is a whole ass arc that is not very frequently given to us in a world. It's fucking brilliant. And anyone who tells you differently, I will bring you baked goods. I will fight them. How about that? Can we, we'll just do that. You know, like sword and shield at your hand because as much fantasy as I read and, um, and, and as much as I like it to kind of, be more reflective of the world outside of our window. I don't need it to be the hopeful version of how we fix the world outside of our window. Sometimes I think it's good for people to sit with the conflict and the cons and, and then, you know, the causal complications and the consequences of the actual world that we live in with its mess, with its mayhem, with its lost hope, with its broken dreams, with its effed up people and its twisted minds and motives and if there's someone who's in here, I'm always this person. I'm like, you know, we can solve this problem if you let me kill them. Just let me kill them. You want to start over? You don't want to have to get rid of all of the pieces of things that you like? Then the thing that has to go, it needs to be violently ripped out in a way that it can't come back. But you keep telling me I can't kill people. So if we try to do this your way, A, it's going to take some sacrifices you may not like. B, we're going to break some shit that you might like in a way that we can't get back. And four, hope is never going to look or manifest in the world if you don't believe that hope can survive. And it's definitely not going to look how you would. Anyone who tells you that that's not a good journey, anyone who tells you that you came back and you somehow got a disconnect or you made them so mad they couldn't even fuck them. Fuck those people. As you can tell, I do not censor myself and this is going out with the cuss words in it. So that's just where I feel right now. Um, there's a land, there's an architecture and a landscape that you designed between the, in this duology that quite frankly, you don't generally get this sensibility in any kind of fantasy. You just don't. Don't let anybody and take I, that from you. I do, I do, I do. I love that, I love that scene at the end with, between Sydney and Mia, our, 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 our new girl. Um, because 
partially because of one of the conversations that they have when when Mia asks her, you know, did you ever think of doing something else with your life? Did you think, you know, when this mm -hmm. after the first, you know, basically, you know, did you think after the first book of maybe just taking a long vacation, basically, you know, let somebody else deal with it, you know, go away. And Sydney's saying, you know, I never had a chance to have a normal life. You know, like when we think about it, like she has literally not even been out of the House of Shadows for a year at the conclusion of the second book. Like she does, she, she wouldn't know normal if it walked up and introduced itself to her. Um, and so for her to say, you know, I, I didn't get that, but I'm going to make sure that you have it. I'm going to make sure that you have whatever normal looks like for you in a way that you want. Um, to me, like that was, that was one of the big moments for the book. Yeah. For her and for the book, because that's, that's what you have to do if you're going to remake the world. Yeah. I mean, you like Sydney was extremely selfish and angry and bitter and resentful. And a big part of her willingness at the beginning of this journey was I'm perfectly content to burn all of this down to make it stop. Yeah. So to, to get to the end of it and have this person who has been disassociated and disconnected to have built an ensemble, to have learned to step beyond that and have like real consequential relationships and to truly understand okay, I don't want you to have to have suffered. I, I don't want you to have to lose all the things I did because of this sacrifice that you, quite frankly, got dragged into. Yeah. Like, cause you, you, you put, you put our girl Mila through some things in this book. You put her all the way through some things. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's truth, there's lies, there's honesty, there's hope. There's the, you know, the crashing disappointment of betrayal and and then there's just having the veil ripped from your eyes and being told you have to look at the world from this perspective and through this lens forever. And then to yeah. get to the end and have Sydney say, maybe you don't, maybe you don't, maybe we can do something different. Maybe you can have something different. I, I think that's a worthy journey. I think it has a deep emotional resonance. I think that it has that kind of muscle and tissue and sinew connective you know, nature of a story that I, that like, I think a lot of people miss because we are used to the emotional beats and the connections being exaggerated and you exaggerated something else in the slider shadows. So it's hard. It, yeah. Those quiet, those quiet parts are really loud. And I think that's what kind of made this feel allegorical in a worry that you didn't necessarily intend. And it's one of the reasons why I was like, no, I'm, I'm starting my interview series again. I would like to talk to Howard. Thank you very much. Um, I do. I, I do a mix of books. I do try to feature books by um, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. But I also like to feature books by women. Um, and a big part of that is is because sometimes I think the perspective of womanhood still gets downplayed. Like a lot of people don't get Sydney, and they don't know how you could write a character like that. But I do. And I deeply appreciate, uh, oh, uh, like, like, I remember when you were talking on Twitter about this character the first time. I was like, I'm here for this. I remember what you did with T Tom Lamb. I'm ready. Give it to me. Let's go. So to get to the end of it and feel, still feel satisfied with your, your absolutely imperfect protagonist. It's just, it's great. Yeah, this is this is one of the most satisfying returns to a world and satisfying ends to a duology 
and I read a lot of book two duologies in April and March, and this is in my top five. I'm, thank you. Like I said, it was, because it was, it was a very, this was really hard. So to hear that is incredible. Thank you. I find it worth it. And please understand that I will be telling people that this is, if they don't own Unkindness and Magicians and it shows up at your house, I may or may not have your, you know, your password to your Barnes and Noble, your, 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 your bookshop and or your Amazon. I may, I may be able to be buying you shit. It's just deal with your life, read the book. But it's, it's, I think it's worth a read. I think it's worth buying. I own a, a first first of both because I'm not kidding when I said as soon as like the person, the first person whose screenshot that I sent you on Twitter is one of my friends who's local. His name is TJ. And I told him I was interviewing you and all he did was scream in my phone. I'm like, what did, am I supposed to do with this? He's like, you? He's like, he's like, I only have one demand. I was like, we don't make demands of our authors. We don't make demands. He's like, no, I just want to read your art. I can't wait. And I was like, oh, you can make demands of me. Yes. <laughs> yes, you can make demands of me. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait a minute. My publicist did not tell me about demands. No, what are we doing here? There are no demands. There is no manifesto. You are safe. But like, okay. as soon as I told him, I sent him a picture of the art that came in the mail. He sent me a picture of the pre-order. And that has been the cyclical response to me telling people you went back to the unseen world. I love it. Thank you. So I deeply appreciate you writing this. I deeply appreciate you taking the time to talk to me because I know I'm a whole ass mess. Well, and this was this was a delight. I, I I mean that completely honestly. So thank you. Okay, because I'm crazy. I know. Okay, I'm gonna stop recording. Uh, thank you very much for coming to I Talk Shit and Read. This is Ro again. The book we discussed as vaguely as possible is A Slight of Shadows. It is the second in the Unseen World. The first is An Unkindness of Magicians. I will have links so you can get your hands on both of these books, and I I cannot stress enough. They are worth the read and it is worth the journey. And if you don't believe me when I say anything else, this is not when I'm trying to trick Chris and Phenom into watching a movie that's going to completely drive them out of their minds so they can talk to me. I am legit. This is one of my top five picks for April and it is an absolute must buy. Thank you very much for coming to I Talk Shit and Read. This is Ro and I'll catch you on the flip side.